Well, it's great to see you guys. It's great to see everyone tonight. And you made it here in the rain, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, this is, this is cool what we're doing. We're sort of having dinner together, but we're also kind of teaching into this idea of being a church that eats around a table. And, and last week, we just said this really simple idea of how do we grow as more of a family? How do we grow as, as a community? We eat food around a table. It's like so easy, so simple, but kind of forgotten as well. And kind of I don't know, sometimes we don't do it. Like, maybe let's, like, I don't know, like, maybe you guys talked about this last week, even in your family growing up, like, maybe eating around the table was a big, important thing. Um, for other families, it's not. Um, particularly with TV, it makes it a whole lot different. And um, we've kind of lost that in some ways in our homes, and then we've kind of lost it in the church, and we're saying, well, how do we actually grow community through food? But what we're kind of doing today is kind of building on that, and we're going to keep practicing eating together, but Today I want to talk about, well, actually, what should our gatherings when we eat together, what should it actually look like in terms of what will people see or what, what would be, should be the experience for us? And the word that I think captures it is joy. That actually when we come to church, when we eat together, it's actually to be a celebration. It's actually to be a joyful party, basically. When we, we eat together, we have food, we hang out, we laugh, we joke, we relax. It's this joyful time. But often, sometimes church is not like that, right? And, and I think particularly just in our society and our, our lives, we know there's lots of reasons to not have joy. And there's, there's a lot of us, a lot of people who, who struggle with that or struggle with anxiety even or struggle with depression or struggle with just really difficult circumstances. And the idea of being joyful can seem really foreign or really difficult and, and daunting even. Um, other people, joy is like natural and it's a gift. It's like an awesome thing and you just need to hang out with the joyful people and try and get some of their joy, which is really good. Um, but what we want to talk about tonight is, is not how do we fake it and just put on a face and just be joyful, but also not how do we just don't just stay in a place of sadness or depression or just at the mercy of our feelings or circumstances. How do we celebrate and have joy? But before we get to that, what I want to do is just give you some reasons first. Actually, why... Why should our gatherings be um, characterized by joy? Why should joy actually be something that is, is normal for all followers of Jesus, that's normal for all churches, that's actually a high priority? I'm going to give you three reasons. Then we're going to look at activities or practices we can do to grow in that, and then some really practical stuff to sort of address that. And, and as we go through, we're keeping in mind this idea that, that we're not talking about being fake, but we're not also talking about how, how do we actually grow in joy. So firstly, a few, few reasons. Actually, I might just pray, and then we'll get into the reason. I'm going to have to turn around to read. Father, we just thank you so much um, that we can be here tonight, Lord. Thank you that we just get to hang out. Um, thank you that we get to be friends. We get to eat together. Um, thank you that we get to worship you. Um, thank you that we're safe. Um, thank you for the rain. And we just pray, God, that you'd speak um, through your word, through this, this, this idea, this practice, um, and would you shape us individually to be joyful people and as a community to be joyful, celebrating people. And we just pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to give you, I'm going to try and go quick with this first bit and just give you three reasons. The first reason, you may not have thought of this before. Why should we be joyful? Actually, God is the most joyful being there is. I don't know when you think about God, what you think of. Do you think of God as joyful? When you think about all the things that God has made, all the things that are good, all the things that bring us joy come from Him. 
that he actually designed them. He actually created them. Maybe even think like what's somewhere that you've been before that's like incredibly beautiful, um, that has overwhelmed you with joy. Or maybe it's even like a movie you've seen. It's just been so creative and amazing. It's just, it just leads to this joy. Like, like God always sees those things. He's always there. I was thinking, Tam and I went to Queenstown on our honeymoon, and it's just beautiful. It's amazing. Just look at the, the mountains, the, the lake, and it's just this beauty. And God is there right now, and he sees that. And he's at the most beautiful places in the world. He, he sees all the galaxies, the, the, the animals, the most amazing, wonderful things. The smallest things right, that give us a little bit of joy are always before him all the time. And they come from him. He's, he's the source of joy and community and laughter, comedy. Like These things come from God, and he's actually the most joyful being there is. And true, you're probably thinking, well, God was also in the darkest places of the world and, and the most difficult situations and the saddest places, and that's true. And we're going to sort of look at how do those two things go together. But he, but he is actually the most joyous person there is. I wonder if you think about Jesus like that. Again, we sort of know that Jesus suffered. And we think about Jesus on the cross, and we know he's, he was called the man of sorrows. But there was a, that's a prophecy about Jesus. But there's also a prophecy about Jesus that he would be the most joyous person ever. This is from Psalm 45, talking about Jesus. You're, you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Other translations say pouring the oil of gladness. Um, this is quoted in Hebrews about Jesus. So Jesus, right, is, is, suffered and was the man of sorrows, but God put the oil of joy on Jesus more than anybody. That Jesus is actually, the, the, in, in, in a sense, the most joyous human being that there has been. And these things go together, but, but he is joyful. Again, we might not think of him like that, but as we've been talking about that, Jesus spent a lot of time at parties. He spent a lot of time at weddings or eating with people, eating food, celebrating, so much so that, again, he got this reputation for eating too much and drinking too much, which he didn't, but because he was going to these parties. Jesus is even famous for turning water into wine. He goes to a party where the, where the wine has run out. There's it's probably bad social consequences for the couple, and Jesus is there and uses his power to transform the party. Imagine how much joy was there. This is, you might have seen this before on Facebook or something like that. Right? Jesus turns water into wine. Like, like wine is this, is this joyful drink to celebrate at a wedding, a, a festival. Like, and, and Jesus is the one who, when it was all finished, he brings out the best stuff. And it says that the stuff that Jesus made was better than any, the stuff that they had before. Like, like Jesus is joyful. And he would, have, he, would, he would go to parties, he would go to weddings, he would celebrate. Here's a quote that kind of describes, though, how do these things go together? This guy, Henry Nouwen, says, The divine joy does not obliterate the divine sorrow. In our world, joy and sorrow exclude each other. Here below, joy means the absence of sorrow, and sorrow the absence of joy. So we sort of think, well, how can Jesus be the most joyous person if all his life is leading towards the cross? He said, these distinctions do not exist in God. Jesus, the Son of God, is the man of sorrows, but also the man of complete joy. God actually can hold these two things together. I would even argue that the joy is the primary. Jesus' sadness and the sorrow is there, 
because of the brokenness and the evil in the world, but the fundamental disposition is, is joy. Same with love. He, he is love, but he hates evil because it's against the people and the world that he loves. So love is the fundamental. Joy is the fundamental. And the, 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 the anger or the sadness or the sorrow is like a subset because of it. They actually go together. So firstly, God is the most joyous being there is. Secondly, we actually need joy to get by in life. We actually can't get very far without joy, at least in a, in a healthy way, particularly through difficult situations. And again, this was true of Jesus. Is this verse in Hebrews that describes him going to the cross. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus went to the cross like he was crucified. He took the sin of the world, the darkest point in the history of the world, the most evil thing. Yet Jesus endured it because of the joy that was on the other side. He knew that, that, that God was working through him, that his father was faithful to him. He knew that this would lead to redemption, that this would lead to forgiveness, this would lead to see on the other side. And there was joy because of what was to come, that he endured the difficulty. And it's the same for us, that we have to endure difficulty. Um, in life, we can't avoid pain or sorrow, particularly if we want to grow and change. It involves challenge and, and, and suffering and hardship. Even just simple things like learning something new, like starting a new job, like going to uni. I know a lot of you guys are suffering right now at uni, but there's the joy, right, of the graduation, or there's the joy of the holidays, or there's the joy of the job. And that's the thing that gets you through the difficult time. There's actually a hope and a joy that, that means you can endure. So we actually need joy to get by. And lastly, God actually desires us to become people characterized by joy like him. His, his desire is not that we just come to church and sing some songs and, and feel happy. It's not just that we get a win on something at work and it's really good. His, his desire is that like him, we become people who are deeply characterized by joy. Not just an emotion, but, but a condition of our heart that's, that's deep. Jesus, again, said this towards the end. He's talking to his disciples. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus is saying, I've lived this way with the Father. It's the best way to live. Follow me. Live my way. And then he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is saying he is joyful because he knows that God the Father, he's walked in faithfulness to the Father. And Jesus is saying, I want to pass it on. I want you to be like me. And that is joyful. And I want to have joy in you. And I want your joy to be complete. The message translates this like mature, like a mature joy, this abiding sense of joy. So God actually desires that we grow. Again, this is like a journey over time to become joyful people, people who celebrate, a joyful community, community that celebrates. But you might be thinking, well, sorry, just summary. So they're the reasons. Why, why, why is this important? Like, why talk about this? Why go this direction? God is the most joyful being there is. We need it to get by, and it's actually his desire for us to grow in this way. But you might be thinking, well, that's all really good, Tim, but... I can't just make myself joyful, right? You can't just make yourself feel happy. 
You can't, we can't control our feelings in that sense. You can't just like switch one on and switch one off. Like it just doesn't work like that. And you might be thinking, well, I've actually been to places where you're expected to be joyful. And, and maybe even, you may even feel like that at church sometimes. That there's this, we're meant to have it all together. We're meant to be happy. We're meant to smile. We're meant to be nice. Life is meant to be good. We celebrate. We've got the victory. Like, and, we, and we know that that's actually kind of fake. And that, that we don't want to repress our emotions. If we're sad, we don't say, well, no, I'm not sad. I'm happy in God. Like, we know that's not healthy. And that's not good. And actually, that's just kind of an act often. But I think sometimes, and I think particularly, I guess, our generation, like sort of my generation, um, particularly, I think maybe even just more so us at the night service, we don't like that, right? We don't want to be fake. Maybe even as just Australians in general don't want that. But we sometimes go to the other extreme where we want to be authentic and we want to be real. But because of that, then that's good. We want to be honest. Actually, we're sad. Actually, today I'm anxious. Actually, I'm afraid. Actually, I'm angry. Like, like we want to be honest, which is good. And I think is a step forward from rep- repressing. But sometimes we get stuck here and we just are at the mercy of our feelings. And if we feel sad, there's nothing we can do. And if we, if we feel angry, there's nothing we can do. And if we're anxious, we're just, we're just overwhelmed. And we just believe this lie that says we are our emotions. Whatever we feel is reality. And we're stuck there. And we're being authentic but we're stuck. And there's actually a third option. And that's the option to actually say, acknowledge where we're at, but say, well, what can we actually do to move forward in this goal of becoming joyful? What can we actually actively choose to do? That we can actually make a choice. We acknowledge how we feel, but we can actually make a choice and move in a direction that's not fake, but it's real. And this, this, this idea of becoming a joyful person. So how do we do that? What is a practice we can embrace to grow in joy? I'm going to describe this. You might not have heard this before, but this is, this is cool. This, is, this, is, this might be new, but like we know, right, like if you want to grow in God, we can pray. Is it, that's a practice or a spiritual discipline. We can fast. We can come to church. Um, we do lots of different things to grow with God. But one this guy called Richard Foster calls is the discipline of celebration. And you probably think those two words don't go together. Right? Like the discipline of celebration. Like you better celebrate, right? Like, like get it together. Like that's not what he's talking about, right? But, that, but, but this is an idea that actually celebrating or being joyful is in a sense a spiritual discipline. And by discipline, sometimes discipline can be a really negative word. What he means by that is it's an act that we can choose to do to grow to be a certain type of person. It's actually something we choose. We may not feel it, but we can choose to do things to grow and celebrate. Um, but you might still be thinking, well, how do we actually do that? I want to give you a few ways. Firstly, this is, this is him describing it here. He said, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. So as, when we say discipline, we're talking about an act of the will, a choice. That is why celebration is a discipline. It's not something that falls on our heads. It's the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. And sometimes we think about joy like that. It just falls in our head. Like like we just wake up in the morning and it's a good day, or we wake up and it's a bad day. Or we come to church and there's just a song that resonates and we have joy. Or God just lightning strikes us or bams us and we have joy. And and it's something that doesn't happen. But, But that's not the goal, right? The goal is not just that we just get joy 
dumped on us sometimes, or we just have like a little bit of joy just, just bubble up sometimes. But actually, he's saying we can actually make choices and actually position ourselves, and again, not our emotions primarily. We can't like switch them on, but we can choose what we think about. We can choose what we do. We can choose what we think about. And actually to set our mind on a, on a what does he say, consciously chosen way of thinking and living that actually goes in the direction of joy. And again, this is not a quick fix. This is not a like, just do this and then it's good. But this is a practice, a way to grow. So what we're going to do is look at Philippians 4, where Paul actually commands this. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And he says this to a church. This church has problems. There's some reasons for them to be afraid and not happy. And yet he's writing to them and he says, rejoice or celebrate all the time, always. And you think, how do you do that? Like, you can't just switch it on. What do we actually do to grow in this? So what I want to do just as we sort of start to get really practical, like how do we actually go in this direction? What is a pathway to joy or to becoming a person characterized by joy? Paul in this passage in Philippians gives three steps. Now we've talked about this before, but they're so good and they're so key. And they're, they're again, not a quick fix, but a direction, a pathway we can go that can shape us. He says, after he says to rejoice, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And you're probably thinking, well, that's just as hard as rejoicing, right? Like, just don't be anxious. Like, it doesn't help. And then you start to get anxious because you're being told not to be anxious. And then you're trying to be joyful, and now you're anxious that you're not joyful, and now you're more anxious. And then it's just all these problems, right? Like, I think I know from experience. And he's not saying just, like, knock it off, don't be anxious. He's, he's, he's not saying even necessarily don't feel anxious. He's saying don't be anxious. Don't give in to it. And what is anxiety like? When we're anxious, there's this tendency to want to control. Anxiety constricts. It, it tightens. It's like, like when we're in peace um, or joy, there's like openness. There's a lightness. There's, there's space. Anxiety, when we're anxious, is, is like tight, um, tense, controlled. Um, it's, it's this idea of anxious care. We like care and we're so full of care, not in like a, I care for you in a good sense, but like an anxious being care or being careful. If someone's careful, they're full of care. And it's like this burden and you can't really have joy like that. Like joy is this, is, 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 there's a lightness. There's, there's, a, there's a skip in your step in joy. But when we're anxious, we're carrying this control and it's hard. So what can we do? What he's saying when he says, don't be anxious, he's saying, actually, let go of it. When we're anxious, the pull is constrict, control, fix. But actually, with our will, choose to go in the opposite direction. Choose to let go. Let go of anxious care. Maybe it's something we're worried about. Choose to let go. And again, that is not easy. Like, like that is difficult. I'm not at all saying that it's easy, but that it is an activity and an action that we can take. And again, we might have to do it repetitively. But actually, when the, when the desire to control and constrict comes, instead, we acknowledge it. We don't fake. We acknowledge it. But we say, I'm anxious. I let go of control. I'm going to release this anxious care. And Jesus talks about this. He says, remember the birds. Remember the, the lilies, the flowers. God cares for them. God, God looks after them. God's looking after us. We can lift and give our care to him. And actually, start to let it 
go. After that, Paul says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we say, at first we release control, we let go of anxious care, and then we pray. We pray and we ask God, and our asking of God is characterized by thanksgiving. And then he says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the second step is pray. Again, we remember that God is right there. We can talk to him. We can ask him for help. We can request. And it says pray about anything, the small things, the big things, whatever it is that we're anxious about. Remember, connect, open ourselves to God in prayer and ask and thank And as we set our mind again on things that God has given us, say, thank you, God, for for these things that you have done for me this week. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for this food. And And maybe even small, mundane, little things, but cultivates this spirit of gratitude and thankfulness, which again is this lightness. It's actually, actually, God is here. God is providing. God is blessing. God knows that I have needs and he's in control. And actually, I could sit to thank him and enjoy him and, and be grateful for the small little things that he's given me. And as we do that, we, we grow. And then Paul finishes this by saying, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's the word that is repeated massively there, right? It's like, whatever. Like, whatever it is, just find something true, right? Noble, right, pure. Find something good and think about that. Actually set your mind on it. He says, whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So this pathway to joy, right, is let go of anxious care. Pray And then actually, as an act of the will, choose to set the mind on things that are good. Now, these may be small things, but he says, whatever, whatever they are, focus on those. And again, this is not at all saying that we deny or go the path of being fake or saying, well, everything's all good, there's no problems. Like, that's not what we're saying. But we're also not saying, well, we're just overwhelmed because everything's so bad and there's just so much problems. Like, Like, we acknowledge but choose to focus on the good. And maybe it's like one thing, like maybe work is just really hard and there's just one kind thing that a workmate did last week like, and we focus on that. Whereas normally it's the opposite, right? You could have like the, a great week at work, like 100 things went well, one person said something really mean and that's the thing we focus on. Like that, it's not hard to focus on negative things, right? Like we wake up and that's, that's probably where we go most of the time. And then you turn on the news and that's where it goes. And you turn on Facebook and that's where it goes. Like, like everything is kind of pushing us that way. It actually requires discipline, like a, a choice of the will to focus on things that are good, to actually focus on the things that, that God is actually working. And it might be small, it might be hidden, but it's real and we can see it. And I think that that's particularly important um, for us as we sort of embrace this season of um, doing community and, and seeking to grow together and be a family, because there's a danger in doing this. And the danger is that we start to think, we'll just eat together and we'll just hang out together and we're just going to be the best friends and everything's just going to be awesome and we're just going to be family and it's just going to be amazing. And then in like two weeks' time, 
when this person said this to this person and this person like has hurt this person and then and there's all this, this bitterness and these problems and these issues and we're just like, nah, we're done. Like it's just too hard. Because the reality is church, we, we're seeking to live more as family, as friends and, and live together but the reality is we're still broken people and the reality is we're going to disappoint each other. We're going to hurt each other. Our weaknesses are going to affect each other which is why Forgiveness is such a high important value because it's going to be needed in so much abundance. And again, that doesn't make it okay, but it's just the reality. And it's actually a good thing, again, because sometimes we can be in this kind of, we just have this vision of what things should be like and community should be like, and then it just gets destroyed. But actually, that's good because a fake vision of that's not reality is not good. And we actually become disillusioned. That means our illusions are gone. We see reality now. But then it's easy to just see everyone's problems, right? They're like, okay, everyone's broken, everyone's weak, uh, everyone's got issues. Like, and I suppose particularly in your family, like you know your family closely or you know your, your closest people, you, you know them and you know their issues, you know their problems, you know their weaknesses. And then the danger then is that we just focus on that in each other. Whereas we can deliberately choose to be a community that focuses on the good in each other that actually just gives thanks to God for the people that he's placed in our, in our community. We actually don't say, well, we want to have this amazing ideal. We just say, thank you, God, for the people that are here. Thank you for the relationships. And actually look at the good in each other. And actually be a community that doesn't, again, doesn't deny that the weaknesses, but chooses to focus on the strengths. Chooses to focus and appreciate each other. Graham Cook talks about this. He says... We can build friendships only on appreciation. So actually seeing the things in each other that we appreciate. We cannot build them on disapproval or dissatisfaction. We must actively look for signs of appreciation in one another and learn to enjoy the people around us. Again, this is a choice. Actually look, what do we appreciate about each other? What can we thank God for for each other? How can we rejoice in each other? Again, there's, there's, there's problems, but there's good. There's blessing. And we can go in this, this path of appreciation. So as we sort of summarize, what we're talking about is actually celebration as a discipline as, and, and in a positive way. There's a pathway to joy. Let go of anxious care. Pray and ask and give thanks and focus on the good. This is our individual and we're talking about doing this as a community as well. So as we eat tonight, right, or maybe this week, maybe in your connect group or maybe with friends, one practice or something that you could do together is again sit around a table or a backyard or a park eat food and celebrate actually choose to celebrate the message translates that verse celebrate God all day every day we're saying this week an actual practice could be to celebrate and party together in God's presence like like a God party a holy party like, like the kingdom of God is, is characterized as a party, as a, as a wedding. And it's actually, and this has been helpful for me because I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm very good at joy. I'm good at joy when I'm running and when I'm reading. I'm actually not very good at joy at weddings or parties. Like, and, and it was actually good the other day, Tam and I went to a wedding with one of her friends and I went with this posture and I said, okay, this is discipline. Like, like I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to get on the dance floor. Like, like, and I want to, but I'll do it. 
just for 10. <laughs> and same, maybe there's a whole lot of reasons, right, to be sad or, or to not celebrate at the moment. But we can still choose to without denying, but actively choose and actually rejoice and have a party. John Mark Cromer based a lot of this on his stuff. He, he describes the difference between a party in the world and a party in the kingdom. He says, in the world, when you go to a party, it's often to escape. We just want to get away from reality, away from our problems. There's abuse of food and alcohol too much. People sin or go to a party to sin. Only invite the cool people. You're hiding from God, and the end result of a party in the world is often a hangover. Whereas he says, the kingdom, a party in the kingdom, the goal is to celebrate. We enjoy food and alcohol. It's actually a holy thing. It's actually of God. Everybody's invited. It's not like only these people. It's anybody, everybody. It's this open, welcoming hospitality. It's actually in God's presence. This idea that God's presence is not just when we worship, but, but we are going to eat and eat in his presence. And the end result is that we leave with joy. And that, that sounds like an awesome party. Like, and then we can embrace that, the spirit of celebration. And as we finish up, I just, I just want to be really clear and just finish, I'm going to finish with a quote with this idea, right, that what we're not talking about is denying our problems. And, and Rivers is awesome because we're a community that we always say we want to be authentic, we want to be real, where you're at, just be honest and be open and this is safe. And if, if you just barely got here today, that's okay. And if, if you're feeling really anxious, that's okay. And if, if you've got an issue, that's okay. And we don't want to be a place where you have to hide, but you can actually be honest about it and be real about it. But also not a place where we just wallow in it, where we get stuck in it, but a place where we acknowledge, where we're real, where we're honest, but we choose to grow and go in this path. There's a great quote from Henry Now, and I'm going to read. This is a little bit long, but he describes this, this how, how do we celebrate and have joy when there's so many big problems. And, and there are so many big problems, right, in life. And maybe you're facing massive ones right now. Like this idea of joy just doesn't go with that. How, how do we make sense of that? He says this, people who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness. They're honest about it. But they choose not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself. And that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. Again, it's this conscious choice. There is light. God is there in the midst of the darkness. He said, they point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but very real presence of God. And again, imagine a community. Imagine if our community was like characterized by this, that we're not a community that spends all of our time talking about the problems of life and the issues in the world, but we're a community that points out flashes of light and God's kingdom and the good things that are happening and, and the ways that God spoke and the, the little breakdown. And often they're small, right? And often they seem insignificant. But actually, when you focus on them, they grow and they're not insignificant. He says they discover that there actually are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they've received, and live in constant anticipation of the manifestation of God's glory 
It's like there, there, like there are people, right, that, that are, 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 there's just issues and there's not forgiveness and there's bitterness and there's pain, but then we can sometimes become cynical. They're saying, actually, no, there are people who forgive. There's actually healing. There's actually generosity. There's actually celebration and sharing. And actually, that is the direction everything is going. That, that Jesus, when he comes back, will rid the world of evil and suffering and pain and death and sin. It'll be gone. And there'll be a big party. It's, it's called the wedding feast or the marriage supper at the end of the, the Bible. And, and, and heaven and earth comes together. Jesus comes back. And God redeems the world once and for all. And that's where everything's going. And we can actually celebrate that even. And the hope of that, even in the midst of darkness now. And what we're going to do, we're going to take communion and, and respond. Um, and we're going to sing. And then, then we're going to spend some time eating together. And, I, and as we eat, I encourage you to, to embrace this idea of, of celebrating, of, of letting go. Um, but Jesus, as 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 he prepared this meal for the disciples. Again, we're saying Jesus was the host. Jesus shared this meal before he died. And his symbol of him and his body that he's given for us. And again, it would have been a good meal. They would have just sat together and shared life, shared stories. And Jesus is talking about what's going to happen to him. And then he says this, For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus is there. He's drinking wine. He's sharing bread. They're sharing a meal. It's symbolic of his death. And he says, this is the last time I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do it again until the kingdom of God comes. I'm not going to do it again until that day when I come back. That's what he's waiting for. That's where everything is going. And as we take communion today, we, we, we acknowledge and thank God for his grace and his forgiveness. And we can enter this celebration that, that Jesus has the victory and he's waiting for that day. And that's the day when we will be full of joy and delight. There'll be no more pain or sorrow or sadness. And actually, as we take communion today, I encourage you to, to look to that day in hope and in joy. Set our mind on that day, even in the midst of today and what the issues and the problems are. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to turn back around and have communion and, and we'll sing. And then encourage you to stay for food um, and, and let's celebrate together. Father, just thank you that you're a God of joy. Um, you're a God of joy and delight. Um, just the amazing things that you've made, um, even just the people that you've made and, and, and brought here, that we get to enjoy life together and, and community together. Um, thank you, Jesus, for your joy that would even endure the cross um, to win our, our salvation and our forgiveness. And we just pray, Lord, that your vision for us individually and as a community, as a people, characterized by joy, um, a joy that's not like the world, um, that's lasting and abiding and deep. And we just pray that you would do that work in our, in our hearts. Would you give us strength to take steps in that direction? Um, and would you just grow in us a community that we see the flashes of light, we see, we see the kingdom birthing in small little places, and would it bring great joy in, in this place, we pray. Um, so we just thank you that we get to worship you, Lord. Thank you that you are ahead. Thank you that you hold us and we can release our cares and anxieties to you. Um, thank you that you've got us, you've got this, 
And we just trust in you. So Lord, would you just bless this time now in your name. Amen.